Okay, welcome to our NETS training, session eight. And tonight we're gonna to be speaking about appropriating faith. And we already know and have been told this powerful truth, that authority without power to enforce its will is no authority at all. And only man and God have authority, but only Satan and God have supernatural power. The struggle is between whose power will authorize the authority of man. Faith will empower one or the other and will be empowered by one or the other. Our faithfulness and our faith will empower one or the other, and our supernatural faith will be empowered by one or the other. Now in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are familiar to us. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. We must present, we must make a choice to give and to present before God. Our bodies as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service to Him. And not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In order to prove, to show forth the perfect, the acceptable will, we must be changed, but we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind, the transformation, the changing occurs as we make the choice, put forth the effort, present ourselves before God and change our mind, renew our mind. When we are saved, we get the mind of Christ. That's the new mind. Now we choose to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. The renewing of our mind is the key to transformation and it is a key to appropriating faith. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. If you feed him, he'll grow. He grows corrupt through lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. As opposed to feeding the old man, feed the new man and be renewed. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You have a choice. Before you're saved, you don't have a choice. Because you're without hope and without God in a world like everyone else that has not received salvation in the name of Jesus. But once having received the Lord Jesus, we now have a choice. And by our faith, we will empower either good or evil to empower us. So we have a choice to let that old man grow in his corruption and then become corrupt in our actions, or be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on that new man, which looks like the Son of God. Release that we seek comes from knowing the truth. And you shall know the truth, which is Jesus, and the truth will make you free. The truth will release us. As we want to grow in faith, the truth is our release to growing in faith. The truth is our release to appropriating faith. We must know the truth in order to obtain it and to be conform to it. 
If we don't know the truth, we cannot obtain that which we don't know is available. We cannot conform our lives to that which we do not know exists. It's not possible to appropriate that which we do not know is available. And it's not possible to put on or to imitate something which has never been revealed to us. Hebrews 11, 6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It's impossible to please Him without faith. Obviously then, with faith, we please Him. By faith, we know that He rewards us who are diligent, faithful, to seek after Him. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Now, there are different kinds of faith in the world. There's faith or believing which will build up your corrupt man, evil faith. But there's faith that we're after is the kind that comes from hearing of the Word of God, the kind that builds us up, that we can renew our mind to, that we can be conformed to, and that we can be transformed into. And faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Godly faith comes by hearing godly words. Godly faith begins where the will of God is made known. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. He commended them, the Apostle Paul did, because they received the word which they heard. Somebody had to bring it to them, bring it to their ears so they could hear it. Then they had a choice of whether or not they would receive it. They chose to receive it, and not even to receive it as the word from a man, but the word of God through a man. Therefore, by receiving it as such, they were able to believe it as such and receive the fruit of that belief. And it effectively worked in them because they believed. And it's the same for any of us. If we will hear it and receive it as the word of God and believe it, it will effectively work in us and it will effectively work for us. So if we want to receive from God, we have to receive according to His rules and His rule book. We must hear and we must believe and we will receive. In order to believe the Word, we must know the Word of God. Mark chapter 14 verse 21 says, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of Him. Jesus said of Himself, He would go where and how it was written of Him. He acted in accordance with the Scriptures which were written about Him, and He chose to believe the written word about His life, and that's where He went, and that's how He acted, and that's why He has the perfect walk of faith. That's why he gives to us the perfect example of someone who walks in faith. And that's why God took that which was perfect faith and named it after his son by calling it the faith of Jesus Christ. But he 
had to know what was written in order to walk with that kind of faith. He used that phrase very often. It is written. It is one of Jesus' most often quoted phrases. He used it to teach, to rebuke, to be led from temptation, to make known the will of God, and to exercise spiritual authority. If we are to receive godly faith, then we must know what is written. In the church, many times we are weak because we do not know or do not really believe what has been written for our learning. This is why knowing Scripture and understanding Scripture should be a top priority for every Christian because it is paramount as a foundation to your faith. And if the just live by faith, then the just must know the book of faith. All of our weaknesses originate in not knowing, understanding, or obeying the word, which is and who is the truth. What is written declares the ability and the will of God. Just knowing is the first part of receiving. Many times when the word of God is revealed so that we know what God's will is, that is enough for us to believe. Many times our unbelief stems simply from not knowing. So if we can first know what is available, then we can believe. Appropriation of faith cannot go beyond our knowledge of that revealed will and word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If we want to grow in the things of God, we need to desire that milk of the word because that milk of the word will strengthen our inner man so that we can grow up into a spiritual man, that we can grow up from a spiritual babe into a spiritual son, into a spiritual adult. First comes with desire, the desire to know. But we must receive. Desire alone will not fill. We must receive in order to grow. It is written, Jesus answered many times. Jesus taught many times. We, like him, need to come to the place where we know what is written so we also may speak what is written because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Psalm 119.16 I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the book of Psalms. And in every single one of the verses in Psalm 119, the Word of God is mentioned and magnified to emphasize the importance of His Word. Psalm 119.11, Your Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, that I might not allow the old man to be corrupt by my lust, by feeding him according to the former lifestyle. So the psalmist was saying that he put forth effort to bury that word, to implant that word, to hide that word 
in his heart, in his innermost being, for the purpose that he might be perfected, that he could walk as a new man, that he could grow up and be mature, that he would not sin against him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. We cannot keep his commandments if we, number one, don't know what they are, and number two, won't keep them in our hearts to the point that we will not break them so that we will not sin against him. That's what it is to not break his commandments. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. His word, the word which came to Jeremiah, the word of God, he didn't just listen, but he swallowed it. He digested it. He ate it. And he allowed it to nourish his spirit man. He desired that sincere milk of the word that he could grow thereby. And to him it was the joy and the rejoicing of his heart. When you receive it, you receive joy. But as you are renewed to it, it's rejoicing. Just as we receive the new man, but we can be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's a choice that we must make. If we will continue in the things of God, we will grow in faith. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. To incline your ears to hear. Faith comes by hearing. Do not let them depart from your eyes. To be steadfast. Keep your eye upon those words. Don't let them depart from your eye. Keep them in the midst of your heart, that innermost place in your mind, in your heart. Keep them there. That takes effort. For they are life to those who find them and health to their flesh. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. When God told Adam to keep the garden, it is to guard the garden, he said. It's the same word here. To keep your heart with all diligence. You have that call that Adam had for a garden you have for your heart. To guard it with diligence. Don't fall asleep on the job. Don't let the enemy sneak in, but guard it with diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. We have a choice with our faith to allow the issues of life to come forth by that which grows within us, or to allow those things which lead unto death by utilizing our faith and having it be empowered by the things of darkness and allowing our faith to have the enemy use our faith to have free reign in our lives. We make the choice. When we give to God an attentive ear, a faithful look, and an implanted heart, then His faith begins to grow within us and begins to manifest through us. His word is made known to us and then it begins to live and grow within us. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in 11 let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. The word of God is sharp, 
sharper than a razor. A regular sword could chop through flesh, could cut off a limb, could penetrate flesh, but cannot divide soul and spirit. To talk to most Christians, they don't even realize there's a difference between soul and spirit. Much, a, much less able to divide between what is soul and what is spirit. Between the joints and the marrow, a sword can penetrate flesh, can harm a limb, but can't divide joints and marrow. The marrow that's in the bone, you have to destroy the whole bone in order to separate it. Yet the Word of God is like a laser, able to separate those things. Because a laser is light. We have an armor of light. And that Word of God, as we become faithful in it and able with it, then we too are able to utilize it as a sharp sword, two-edged, can cut in whichever direction we need it to cut. Whichever direction it needs us needs to go, it will cut. It will shave. It will be that discerning, that detailed in its division, separation, so that we may look deeper, so that we may understand, so that we might be able to discern truth from error, right from wrong. What is the will of God and what is not the will of God? So that we're able, even in situations of temptation, when the will is not clear, we are able to not sin against Him because that Word of God will come forth and it will be wielded in the, the hand of the Holy Spirit and it will show to us very clearly what is the direction that we should go. And thereby we will walk in faith and we will be empowered by the Spirit and we will have the victory in whatever situation may be laid before us. The reason that we have a sharp sword, the Word of God, is so that we do not enter into disobedience. In other words, to say it the other way is so that we will be obedient, so that we are able to keep His commandments. The reason we need faith is so that we can walk in obedience. To walk in faith is to walk in obedience. To walk in obedience is to please God. To please God is to walk in faith. Without the Word of God, it's impossible that we would be able to walk in obedience. When I have someone come to me and, and they say that they heard from the Spirit or they heard from the Lord and He told them to do something, but it's contrary to Scripture, I know it could not have come from Him because He'll not contradict Himself. Now, He many times will tell us things that are contradictory to our understanding of Scripture, so we need to be careful. Often I've had the Spirit speak to me things that were not according to my doctrine. So I had to go back to Scripture. And often I've had the Holy Spirit teach me doctrine that I did not know, which was contrary to the doctrine which I held. But He, after all, is the originator of the doctrine. So while none of us has perfect understanding, He does. And while we must walk out on what we do understand, we still must have a meekness in our heart to be coachable, to be changed by the Spirit. But what he won't do is contradict his word. What he might do is contradict your misunderstanding of his word. But his word is sharp and it's able to discern and divide for you exactly these things. If we know, then we can have confidence. Because if we know his word, 
then we have been shown His will. If we know His will, then we can step out in faith, knowing full well that what He is able to say, He is also able to bring to pass. He is able to perform His word. Psalm 50 and verse 14. Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Offer him thanksgiving. To walk in faith is to recognize what he wants for you. To recognize what he has promised for you and to be thankful for that even before you hold it in your hand. True faith is able to believe that you have even before you can hold it. To believe that it's yours because he has said it even before you have it. True faith, godly faith, will bring into being that which is not in existence because faith allows God's empowerment to be released in this earthly realm. By knowing His will, receiving it as the will of God, not questioning it, but rather being thankful for it, believing in it, and it will be empowered by Him. What we believe comes from our heart. But what we believe will be known by what we say. Faith comes by hearing, but words come from what you believe. Galatians 3.5 says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? God is able to do miracles among us by the words of faith. Words are power. When God wanted light, He said, let there be light. And there was light. When Jesus wanted calm, He told the storm to be still. When He wanted the man with the withered hand to have a healed hand, He said, stretch forth your hand. Many people came to Him with infirmities with needs, and he would ask them, what do you want? And they would say to him, and he would respond, be it done unto you according to your faith. The words empowered the supernatural. And the words went forth before the manifestation of that which was desired. When Jesus walked up to the tomb that held Lazarus, he prayed a prayer and he said, this prayer Father, it's not for me, because I know you have already heard me. He said, God, you've already heard me, even while Lazarus was still dead. Then he spoke the words, Lazarus, come forth. He spoke the words while Lazarus had no ability to come forth, nor had any consciousness. But it was the words spoken that empowered the spirit, and it was the spirit that empowered the flesh, and by faith, Lazarus was raised from the dead. God works miracles among us by the hearing of faith. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Our righteousness is in Christ Jesus, but we are to be the righteousness of God. And we show forth that manifest righteousness by faith. And that pleases Him. 
and He is faithful to reward us both now and later as we walk in faith. As we put the effort forth to walk in faith, to rise up higher than we have, to allow the faith that we have to be built into a greater faith, to allow what we have to be used for His glory, that by thankfulness we're able to manifest His authority on this earth and bring glory to Him. Ephesians 4.15 says that we should speak the truth in love so that we may grow up in all things unto Him who is the head. By speaking the truth in love, the Bible says faith which worketh or is energized by love. The words we speak in love will build faith and help us to grow up to be like Him. We can grow up, be stronger, be more mature, have more faith in all things. Luke 6, 45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. That's the case with all of us. Out of the abundance of our heart our mouth will speak. Now I've got something to tell you. Everything's not so black and white as that verse sounds. It's not that one man is evil and one man is good and the evil man only does evil and the good man only does good. Each of us has the ability to let that old man become more and more corrupt and let him out of the box, so to speak. Let him out of the basement if we should choose. Likewise, we have the potential because we have the good man Jesus within us to manifest that good man, that good life, the manifested life of God, which is God in Christ in us. We have the ability to allow that man to be manifested through our heart, through our mouth, and it's going to be manifested by what is more abundant. Each of us has to renew our mind. Each of us has to make a consistent choice throughout the day. And each of us is going to have to ask for forgiveness at times when we make an error in judgment or when we step out wrongly and do something that's not pleasing to God or disobedient to His Scripture or unbelieving of some promise which He has given us. But what have we hid in our heart? What abundance have we placed there? Is there more good or more evil that we have spent time hiding in our heart? What has our eye beheld? What has our heart received? That's what's going to come forth from our mouth. And out of your abundance, that which is most abundant is going to come forth at that time of need. When you don't have time to think, when disaster strikes, what comes out of your mouth will sometimes be the difference between life and death. When your car goes spinning, hits ice on the road and it goes spinning off towards the wall or towards the cliff or towards disaster of some kind. What comes out of your mouth, faith or fear? It's what's in there in abundance is going to come out at that moment. A lot of people can put on a facade, put on an act, paint the outside, so to speak, but on the inside they're still dead men's bones. But if the new man is being fed and that he grows from within, he'll begin to show on the outside. But more importantly, he'll be the strong one that when disaster comes, when crisis hits, he'll be the one that takes the wheel, that takes control. 
And by that, faith will empower supernatural results. Romans 10, beginning of verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The word is in your heart. It's in your mouth. If faith comes by hearing, it doesn't only come by hearing others, but what do you speak? If you truly believe, then you'll speak the words which build the faith. As the faith is built, the words will come to pass because they will be brought to pass by the empowering power of that Holy Spirit which has promised to bring His word to pass. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, we've looked at this in light of eternal life, but it's the same sequence, the same principle for receiving anything from God. To hear first, to know what is available, and to believe it, and to confess it, then it will come to pass. Not everything that has been promised and believed and confessed will come to pass immediately. But it won't come to pass if it's not known, or if it's not believed, or if it's not confessed. Two different words for salvation in Scripture, uh, basically, is sozo, which we read here, and soteria is another one. Both of them are received in this fashion, to know what's available, what's salvation in, in an area of your life. Where do you need rescuing? Where do you need release? Where do you need healing? All those words come from those words. Any of those words can at times be translated that way, to be rescued, to be healed, to be saved, to be made whole. Where in your life do you need those things comes in this fashion, to know what's available, to believe it, and to confess it, to speak it, to take action on it. Faith comes by hearing. John 6, 28 and 29 says, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. This is doing the work of God that you would believe. You can go out and do great, good works. You can be a great philanthropist. But... To do the works of God is to believe. To believe on Him who was sent. To confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. You will be saved. In this situation, to do the works of God, you must believe on Him who was sent. What would Jesus do in this situation? And believe that you can do that and step out and do those things that He's called you to do that he might manifest himself through you in this world. Because he was the one that said, because I've gone to the Father, you now will be able to do the works that I did and greater works because I'm with the Father. To do the works of God is to believe in him. James 3.10 says, Out of the mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings, good and evil, light and dark, life and death. We choose. It's up to us to choose. What are we going to feed in our hearts? 
What are we going to feed so that it will grow to be the abundance of our heart? That is what's going to come out of our mouth. What comes out of our mouth is going to either impart to or inflict upon our faith. It's going to strengthen it or it's going to weaken our godly faith. Our words, our power. Only man, sons of men, have the power of words on earth. By our proclamation, we empower or dethrone spiritual powers. Matthew 21, 21 and 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, Surely I say unto you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatsoever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. The words and the belief behind them, the coordination of the words with the faith behind them would bring to pass, Jesus promised, supernatural events. And thereby, when we pray, what we pray will assuredly come to pass. To have faith, we need to know what is available. We need to know what is the will of God. What does the Word of God say to have faith? We must believe it, and we must take action upon it. If we'll do those things, we will receive. Mark 11, 23, 24. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Not whatever he thinks, what he says. The words which are spoken allow power to be imparted. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Does he say or does he even apply there that you'll have them instantaneously? Is it possible that sometimes we will have them instantaneously? Yes, of course. But it does not say that everything you pray for you will have immediately. But it says, if you pray and believe, you will have them. How do we receive? Faith. If we have faith, our words will reflect it. And our words will build the faith. And our faith will build the words. Living faith is not on the belief that God can, but that God has or that God will. To say that God can is good but it's not living faith. But to declare that he has, and you will receive it, that's living faith. John 14, 13 through 15. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He puts that in the same context of requesting from God of asking of God. In the context of asking of God that we would be doing His will, that we would keep His commandments. One of the things that weakens us is not knowing, understanding, or obeying His commandments. If we want to receive answers to prayer, it's going to take faith. If we want to have faith, then we're going to need to be in that place where we're keeping His 
commandments. We're going to need to know what they are. We're going to need to hold on to them in our hearts and stand on them until we see it come to pass. If you'll do that, then he'll do for you that which you could not do for yourself. By your faith, God will act and you will receive that which you could not receive on your own. And he will be glorified. Hebrews 10, 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. Again, one of the most often quoted verses in the Bible, originally in Habakkuk 2, 4. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You see, if God says you need faith to bring him pleasure, you can't please him without faith, then obviously if you refuse to walk in faith, then you're not bringing pleasure. You're displeasing God. If you're displeasing God, you're not going to manifest the blessings of God. So therefore, if you know what's available but refuse to walk into them, then that is displeasing to God. If you don't know at all, that's also displeasing to God because they both manifest unbelief. One out of ignorance, one out of unwillingness. But nevertheless, both bring displeasure, one more than the other, of course. But what brings pleasure is that we would know and act upon, and He will reward. And if we will do this as a lifestyle, it says, the just live by faith. We will show forth that we are righteous. We will show forth that we are just people. And it will be for us also as it was for Abraham. It will be accounted as righteousness. We will be the righteousness of God in this earth. James 1.21, Therefore, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Take that old man, reckon him dead. Don't feed him. Don't let him grow in his corruptness. But lay it aside and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Allow that word. Hear it. See it. And allow it to be implanted into you. It's able to save your souls. It's able to bring that faith into manifestation. To allow yourself to look attentively to His Word, to receive it with hearing attentively, to look faithfully at it, and to allow it to be implanted in your heart. The implanted Word is the Word that's not only received, but it's acted upon. Faith to appropriate God's promises comes as the result of knowing and acting upon God's will. James chapter 5, beginning in 14. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What's an effective, fervent prayer? He gives us an example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Why did he pray for no rain? Why didn't he pray for rain? Everybody in the country wanted it. And yet he prayed for no rain. Well, because he had the word of God to him was to pray for no rain. He knew the word, and he took action on that word. He prayed the word, then he acted on the word by going to a place that would have water, even in a time of drought. 
by his prayer, he effectively empowered God in that situation, even against all other prayers that would have been prayed to any gods in the entire nation. That was an effective prayer. But fervent means he didn't just pray it once. It was effective because it was answered, but it was fervent, so it continued to be answered. And it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and if someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The prayer of faith will save the sick, it says. See, salvation in the physical sense, in a healing in the body sense, is salvation. But the prayer doesn't do it. The prayer of faith. And in the context, we see the will of God needs to be known and believed and acted upon. And we need to keep His commandments, including confessing our sins one to another, including turning another from death and from error, to take action on the Word of God. Sometimes to take action on what we know is the Word and the will of God, which seemingly is disconnected from that which we're praying. And yet many times it's that action that empowers the faith and so that God is able now to bring to pass that which we're praying for. Hebrews 10, 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. You see, there's an end result that God wants of our faith. He wants manifested salvation. He wants the sick to be healed. He wants those that are unsaved to be saved. So there's a displeasure that comes when we don't believe, but there's a profit that comes when we turn back from that perdition. And when we believe, salvation is manifested in this earthly realm, whether it be salvation from sickness or whether it be salvation from death. But it's manifested by faith and it brings pleasure to God and glory to Him and to His name. And we should be living in that kind of faith. It shouldn't be a one-time thing or an every so often thing, but we should live by that kind of faith. It should be the thing that nourishes us and it should be the thing that we seek after daily. By putting the word in our heart that we might not sin against Him, we are walking at a higher faith because we are being just and we're living by that faith. It's a lifestyle of faith. Our life will then manifest the pleasure of God. And He will bring to pass our words as we speak them, as they are His will manifested in the world. Hebrews eleven six. 6, But without faith it's impossible to please Him. We must come to Him and believe that He is and a rewarder of those that are diligent to seek Him. We need to stay at it. It needs to be a lifestyle of salvation, a lifestyle of walking, pleasing to Him. In Hebrews 11, really we, we look to that chapter so much because of what it has about faith. And it's called the, the hall of faith. Of many, many women of faith are listed there. And yet it says, these all died in verse 13. 
not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. All of those men and women that had faith, are considered giants of faith, did not receive in their lifetime that which they had faith for, and yet they brought glory to God. They all, through their life, brought honor to God by believing Him, even while every natural sense contradicted Him. Our lives should imitate that, that we would believe what His promises say, and step out and act upon them and speak those things regardless of whether or not we see them with our physical eyes. If we'll do that, we will see them with our eyes. We will see that will of God manifested by our faith as we step out. Him bringing to pass that which is available in this time in which we live. Now I'd like to take a few minutes and discuss appropriating faith by exercising dominion over fear. Now, it's interesting, in light of the, the rule of first mention, we can go back and look at the first usage of the word fear, and we find it in Genesis chapter 9, and in verses 1 and 2, God is speaking to Noah and to his sons, and he blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, and on every bird of the air, and on all that move on the earth, and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. So the first usage in the Bible of the word fear is in light of the animals fearing us. In other words, part of the dominion, having fear of man. And that's the way God intended it. When we're afraid, we've got it backwards. Matter of fact, Fear really has a lot to do with our dominion. What did God say to them there? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, we've heard that before, haven't we? Back in Genesis chapter 1, 26-28, God says, Let's make man in our image. Let's let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle. Then in verse 28, it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, same as back in Genesis 9, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we're seeing that the dominion being exercised, it's natural for the animals to have fear of us. Now God has dominion over us, so we should fear God. But we should not fear any living creature or anything that any creature could do to us, including the enemy, the adversary, when he tries to exercise authority over us, dominion over us, it's out of God's will for us to fear him. And fear opens up the door for him to accomplish his will in our lives, rather than have faith, which opens up the door for God to exercise blessings on behalf of us. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, but as we walk in fear, we remove ourselves out of faith and walk in what is basically negative faith. Fear is faith going in the opposite. So one way that we can grow in faith, one way that we can appropriate more faith, is to learn to take dominion over fear. By taking dominion over fear, we automatically put ourselves 
in a realm of faith and of obedience to God and of exercising dominion on the earth. There's a quote I enjoy from Teddy Roosevelt uh, when he was speaking of his time when he came out west and the time he spent in the wilderness. And he said, There were all kinds of things of which I was afraid at first, ranging from grizzly bears to mean horses and gunfighters. But by acting as if I was not afraid, I gradually ceased to be afraid. The Bible says for us to imitate God as dear children. Now, you can act like something, but if you don't have the authority to be that something, all the acting in the world is just hypocrisy. <laughs> On the other hand, if you truly have the authority to be that, the way to become that is to act like it. He truly did have authority over grizzly bears and gunfighters and wild horses. But when he was walking in fear, he couldn't have exercised that authority. So he had to first begin to act like who he was. We, be, we need to begin to act like who we are in Christ. If we're born again, if we have the Spirit of Christ within us, then we have dominion. We can walk in faith, and we can take dominion over the things in the world that bring fear to us. In Job chapter 3 and verse 25 is probably the most famous verse on fear. And Job said, For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I dreaded has happened unto me. Because just as if we walk in faith, the things which we believe for will come to us. If we walk in fear, then those things that we believe in fear will also happen to us eventually. In this situation, it's interesting that both the Lord in Job chapter 2 verse 3 and Job himself in chapter 9 verse 17 said that the things that happened to Job came upon him without a cause. In other words, both God and Job agreed that the things that happened to Job happened to him without a reason. He hadn't done anything to deserve those things. Now, if you'll recall, he had some good old friends that came called miserable comforters. And they were just trying to help him by finding the iniquity in his life that would cause this to happen. They wanted to help him find the big sin, the hidden sin that he had that would cause these things to happen to him. And he maintained his integrity. He didn't curse God. He didn't blame God. He just said, look, I haven't done anything. He hadn't been out there sinning. He hadn't been hiding sin. The only thing he did was in his heart. And when he got the word about his, all his wealth and all his family being taken from him in one day, there was a, a shock, a, a tremor, a, a terror even that may have come. And many times when we get hit with something like that, it gives us cause to fear. It gives us cause and it opens a door for an attack in, a, in our lives that we now have to take dominion over that. In Job chapter 1, verse 10, Satan says to the Lord, You have made a hedge around him and around his household, around all that he has on every side. There was a hedge around him, a protection around him. It was only by fear that there was a hole in that hedge. Just because there's a hole doesn't mean there's something going to come through it, but the enemy is the, is the one that will keep looking until he finds it. In Job's case, it was just that little chink in his armor that left the door open for the enemy to attack. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I believe that the Apostle Paul was encouraging his spiritual son, Timothy, by reminding him not to be afraid. Fear doesn't come from God, but just to know that isn't enough. We need to replace that with something. And he was giving him some choices. Power, 
love, a sound mind. These are things that replace fear. When we have terror, when we have uh, a shock, when we have the temptation to fear, we can take dominion with God's power. We can walk in love, which is more powerful than fear. We can uh, renew our minds, have a sound mind. Or we can do all three. <laughs> but we need to walk in something besides that fear. When the spirit of fear comes, we need to take dominion over that which is from the world. When we take dominion, we are exercising faith. When we take dominion over fear, we're walking into another level of faith. We are appropriating faith. Psalm 46, 1 and 2 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth is removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Even if everything we see changes, we don't have to fear if God is our refuge and our strength. If He's not, then by faith we need to put ourselves in a position where He is our refuge and our strength. Then He will be our very present help in time of trouble. Not a far off help, but a present, a now help. He's the I am. Proverbs 1.33 says, But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. How are we going to take dominion over that evil? How are we going to take dominion over that fear? By listening to Him. By abiding in Him. By taking the word of the Lord and listening to it to the point that we believe it. When we, when we see something with our eyes that gives us cause to fear, but we have the word in our heart, by faith we make the word in our heart more real than that which we see with our eyes. We've appropriated faith and taken dominion over the fear. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in 14 and reading through 16, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So now how are we going to walk in something besides that spirit of bondage which brings us fear? We don't, we don't want to walk in the bondage. We want to walk in the freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When we're walking in the Spirit of the Lord, by faith, we choose to walk in that spiritual realm as sons of God, denying the things of the world and the fear that comes with the things of the world. So as we walk as sons of God, we no longer fear. When we are fearing, we're not walking as sons of God. Does this mean that there aren't Things that we should be concerned about in the world. Of course not. A grizzly bear is something that we should respect. <laughs> but we ought to be able to exercise dominion. A life and death situation is something that we ought to respect and take serious. But to fear would not be correct. If we're, if we're faced with something that appears to be hopeless, we should take it serious. But we should also take it to the Lord, who is our help, who has the answer knowing that even though it appears that there is no answer, and indeed there may not be an answer in this world, there is a supernatural answer that our God can supply, and we can receive it by faith. And we can appropriate that faith as we exercise dominion over the fear which has come from something in this worldly realm. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, "...to be anxious for nothing." But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be anxious, anxiety. Anxiety will come due to fear or it will lead us to fear. Anxiety and peace don't go hand in hand. One has to replace the other. And here's how we do it. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We need to pray and we need to ask uh, specifically for things. But with thanksgiving, then our heart comes to a place of peace, a place of courage, a place of trust, which takes away that fear and anxiety, which defeats the promises. But rather, with thanksgiving, that peace comes. It surpasses our understanding. We can understand the problem. <laughs> we can see it coming. We know why we're afraid of what this is. We, we don't seem to be able to overcome. And yet, by coming to the Lord as sons of God, by exercising the dominion that He's given us through faith, we cause even the devil to tremble. He's not so scared of us. He's afraid of the faith which came from God that we are now exercising. But we've got to replace the one with the other. Certainly there are things that bring us to anxiety. <laughs> it's the absence of the understanding of what God can do or the absence of the belief of what God can do. We replace the anxiety, and then we have peace. If we have peace, we know we're not walking in fear. We're walking in trust. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can men do to me? If we truly believe what he said, that he would never leave us nor forsake us, then we can not have fear. Because if he's with us, then he's going to get us through it. Amen? We don't have to be afraid of what men can do to us because we have faith in what God will do for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So it's a process of growing. If we have anxiety, if we can't sleep, if we have fear, then we have not been perfected, which is the, the process of being discipled to the Lord Jesus. To the place where we can have peace even in times of torment. That we can even, as Jesus did, sleep in the midst of the storm. Somebody else has to wake us up so that we can exercise our faith to take dominion over the storm which is causing the fear in others. But we're in peace. Perfect love casts out fear. We have fear? Move into agape love. It will cast out the fear for you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 25 says, Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do we believe that? If we believe those words, then we can walk in that confidence. We can let our feet be like hind's feet, where one tracks right on sure ground, even though it might go on a, a knife-edged cliff, let's say. But the Lord will be with us, and He'll hold us up. And if we'll exercise the dominion that He's given to us, we will grow in faith. And as we walk in that faith and appropriate more faith by exercising that dominion over fear, then we will be at peace, we will be confident, and we will even bring peace amongst others who are troubled and might have fear. Because we cannot have both faith and fear at the same place at the same time.
Amen.